0: and analytics-driven business, so you have a new, durable, competitive advantage against disruption in your market. So let's get right into it.
1: All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Grit Podcast. I'm Brian Charlesworth, the founder of CSU and the host of the show. And today, we are here with Andrew Franklin. Uh, I actually met Andrew and Scott Scottsdale. We were at a Brett Tanner Mastermind, and... I think that was all about wealth building yep. and um, Andrew actually took me to his favorite restaurant, which is now one of my favorite restaurants, Steak 44 down in Scottsdale. <laughs> That's what I look forward to when I go to Scottsdale nowadays is going to Steak 44. So thank you for that, Andrew. Um, but Andrew's with the Franklin team. These guys have been operating with 10 agents for quite some time doing huge numbers uh like 75 transactions per agent and they're just now scaling up from 10 agents to 25 30 agents and uh i mean i think that's a a growth phase that everyone goes through at some point and there's a lot of change that happens in that time so i wanted to have andrew on the show today Uh, andrew is with exp made the move over there a few years ago would like to dive in and find out why you made that move actually because i think you were an independent brokerage before that right no
2: we were at remax for 32 years
1: oh you're at remax okay yeah, yeah. okay okay so uh anyway andrew that's uh what would you like to add to that as far as your background goes and your and the background yeah, of you? yeah so
2: Yeah. um, My background, I come from a real estate family. My dad started our business in the early 80s before I was born. And he sort of tried to talk me out of getting into real estate. Um, So I started on Wall Street in investment banking, mergers and acquisitions. And me and my sister and third partner bought the business from my dad about eight years ago now. At the time, he had three, four agents doing, uh, and he was heavy in production uh, up until the point we bought it. He was doing 500, 600 deals with that amount of people with 150 million. And um, we've wanted to not just be Jimmy's kids and try to uh, grow the business and not screw it up. Um, And we've created some ancillary businesses around that. But now, like you said, I think we're approaching 25 or right at 25 agents. We'll sell about 1,800 homes for uh, north of 600 million this year.
1: Okay. I mean, I think most people hear that. It's almost not comprehensible, comprehensible right? To, to read, you're saying 25 agents, you're going to do how many transactions? We'll do, we're going to be flat. Um, and I can talk about
2: why we will be flat because we're almost never flat but we're going to be flat this year. And we did 1800 for 600 million last year. And I think we're going to be right at those numbers.
1: So, okay. So I think everybody on the show knows 1800 transaction. Those are huge numbers. So first off, congratulations, but I think it's a cool story. So you, you went on wall street, you were in investment banking. It sounds like you were doing a you learned everything you need to know about m a in order to acquire your dad's business. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, congratulations. And I, th- I think it's fun because, you know, it used to be and when your dad started his real estate company, uh, I grew up with a dad who was in real estate, at least a portion of my, I think he moved into real estate when I was in about junior high, but real estate didn't used to be what it is today. Like real estate used to be someone who goes out and sells homes. Yeah. And there are still a lot of agents that do that. Right. But today you almost have to be a part of a team to really be successful in real estate. So you're either on a team or you own a team. If you're really, in my opinion, that's the future of real estate. People who don't do one of those two are going to be in trouble. Let's talk about that, though. You acquired this business. It had four or five agents. Your dad's in full time production. I mean, how much is that business really worth?
2: Well, so, and I did a podcast with John Kitchens earlier today and I just sort of told them um, we structured it. uh, It was, Hey, what does Jimmy, my dad want to give us the business? Cause he didn't need to sell. He could have, we, the three of us that bought the business, me, my sister, and my third partner, Andy, we could have continued to be in production and he could have done a lot less. And so he did us a favor. So basically, we did a five-year seller notes where we paid him a fixed amount every month. It it was one of these like, oh, I want this number. And that's what, (laughs) and maybe it'll cripple you guys. Maybe not because we've never done any of this. And the funny thing is I joke about it, but it's actually true. We did so well. Three years in, four years in, we put in the agreement. I was the only one that saw the agreement. I was the one that talked with the attorneys on it. So no one knew what it was in there, but I knew what my dad wanted in there. We put in there that he could renegotiate or come back if it wasn't working or it didn't work for his lifestyle. And he came back, not because of that in the agreement, but he basically said, Hey, I want to continue this on. It's working well for all of us. And he did lower the payment. Um, eight years in, we still are paying him a little bit, but the amount of value he gives us. He's still, although semi-retired, still helps with a lot of our big builder relationships, still helps with a lot of the visionary stuff. So he earns it for sure, but it was supposed to be a five-year seller note that would end um, and it still hasn't ended eight years later. So
1: Wow. So good for him. I mean, he's... He's semi-retired. He can work when he wants, do what he wants and continues to receive a paycheck. Works great for him. Works great for you guys. You now have a business doing 1,800 transactions plus a year. And uh, we all know what kind of money you can make with that kind of business. So it works well for you guys, obviously, too. So you just mentioned something about builders. Uh, Let's talk about that because I think I'd like to know what sets you guys apart. Like, I think my take based on conversations I've had with you in the past is that you guys have a tremendous amount of large amount of home builder relationships.
2: Um, 60% of our business and when I say builder business I always clarify it's not we're not going to the builder and saying we want to list your inventory homes and in our market that's very competitive and the big guys do that at no cost or very little cost and it inflates numbers. And we do do some of that. But when I say builder business, I'm saying you walk into a model home as a buyer, you don't have a realtor, you have a home to sell or a lease. We're trying to get that builder salesperson to refer us, you as the client. So we have programs around getting that salesperson refer us those clients. So they're, they're, they're listing leads because they're buying a new home. They have a home to sell. They're very warm listing leads and they're very predictable. So we have salespeople that send us 20 deals a year. We have builders that send us a hundred deals a year. Um, our best builder clients, about a hundred deals a year. We've been their preferred realtor for 15 years. So it, it's basically a couple programs that we offer um, to help create incremental sales for the builder and eliminate bust outs. So if the house doesn't sell way before the, the word iBuyer existed, we've had a buyout program for 20 something years where we'll buy it from the client so they can close on the new house. So it, we've created these programs, but then we've created a system around building these relationships with builders. So
1: we get these referrals. So, that is genius, by the way, congratulations That's all my dad are are there any tips you can share with others that say like what I say that's genius like if I was in real estate today, I would myself personally or I would hire someone to just work on builder relationships after hearing that I think the mind, I think the biggest thing is a mindset
2: shift, so one of the the starting thing is a mindset shift let me let me correct myself so a lot of realtors think that the they're the client of the builder, right? Because I have the buyer, I'm bringing the buyer to you. We look at it exactly opposite. We look at you and I say you as if you're this, you as this builder salesperson, like at lunch or happy hour, I'm the one picking up the check because you as a builder salesperson you're in a model home for five days a week, your assistant, your sales assistant is for the two days that you're not there. So combined, these people are in a model home 60 hours a week, and they're constantly seeing buyers who have a home to sell. So they're buyers and sellers that don't have a realtor. And so to me, it's the most predictable referral source that you can Imagine, right? If you could have the best sphere person and they send you two deals a year and they're killing it for you, right? They sent their coworker and their family member. That's one of your best sphere people. My best builder salespeople send me 20 deals a year because they're constantly seeing sellers and buyers. And at least in our market, The builder salespeople are not realtors. They're they're employees of the builder. And if they were a realtor before, the builders, in almost all cases, make them make their license inactive. So yeah, it it will correlate to any market, in my opinion, that has that dynamic. Like if you're compete, if the builder is not a big enough builder to have an on-site salesperson and they have a realtor sitting in the model home the whole time, you're probably not going to get that business. But most big production markets have an on-site salesperson that works for the builder and they have a friendly co oping relationship with the realtor and so what i would say to get that business is you have to have something of value that you can give the builder to make their life easier make them make more money so when they do have someone that has a home to sell or needs a realtor in any capacity they're thinking of you is it the builder you're going to or is it the salesperson So it's a lot easier to get in with the management first and then go get the salespeople. So that's what we do. Um, So we go to the VP of sales or sales manager or even the the local division president. And we talk about our programs, how we can help sell more homes, how we can eliminate bust outs. They tell us, oh, we had 20 bust outs last year because of the home not selling. This program works great. Come present to our sales team then that's the the manager giving the rubber stamp of these guys you can you can refer because what we're asking for is we're asking to be put on the new home contract and we're not procuring that sale so we are john smith is is walking into a model home and we're wanting them to put us on that new home contract even though they're the one referring us john smith so you do need some management buy-in there, but the real work is going to, to get the relationship. And because you, be, you could be approved by the manager if you don't have the relationships with the salespeople, you're never going to get the referral. So you, you really need to do
1: both if you want to do it at scale. Okay. So you said you need to bring something of value to, for them to work with you. Like why work with you? Yeah. I, I'm trying to get into this yeah. space. Why are they going to work with me? Like, what do I need to do to make me special so they're going to work with me? So our programs are pretty
2: simple. This was created, the first program, it's two programs in one. The first program was created um, probably in the 90s by my dad, where in Houston, there was not a lot of equity that people had in their houses. And so the the sort of makeup of new construction in our market, even back then, was the builder understood they were going to co-op with the realtor. And so they, they were, they were sort of resigned to the fact that there's going to be a realtor on the new home contract. So in our market now, there's like new home contracts, 90% of the people that buy new homes have a realtor um, in some form or fashion, or they end up having a realtor. And so the builder in our markets, like, Hey, I'm going to pay that 3%. And so my dad went to these salespeople to start and said, Hey, you're going to pay the 3%. This consumer doesn't have a lot of equity in the house. So pay me the 3%, put me on the new home and I'll go and sell their house at no charge. And so for my dad, he's getting back then, um, he's, he's selling a $150,000 resale house at no charge. The way we do it is we charge 6%, then we reimburse, but let's just say we charge, we don't charge it. To get paid three percent on a, the more expensive new house, he's not doing anything on the new house, right? They've already found the builder. The builder is referring to us, and yep. so he's getting credit for two transactions. That's why, if you look at our numbers, eighteen hundred homes, six hundred million, we did ten million in commissions. That's why it's not that three percent because we're getting credit for two but we're really getting paid three percent on the more expensive new house so that, that's how it started like put us on the new home we'll sell the, the the house at no charge and so he was big relationship building with the salespeople. like you're so gonna
1: you, put you a, all of a sudden their marketing is hey you know what you buy a home with us we will sell your house at no charge. I, I have a guy i have a guy that will sell your
2: house at no charge um i know you're probably skinny on your equity and so then that morphed, so he started, he started networking with builders. And the the next sort of thing that really put us in an in a atmosphere no one could compete with was one of our best builders, Pulte Homes at the time, I think it was 2000 um, or maybe late 90s. They came in and said, hey, I have a guy that's guaranteeing the sale in another market. So we didn't even come up with it. And that's what real estate is: rip off and duplicate, man. Just take what other people are doing and and and
1: and make it your own. But we had yeah, a that's book. why we have you on the show today, so that, you know <laughs> rip this off.
2: And I'm an open book, man. And so uh, a builder brought it to my dad and said, "Hey, if it, yeah, we're referring you these clients that have a home to sell, and you're selling it at no charge, and we're paying you on the new house. It would be great if you took it to another level." And if you don't sell the house, um, because some of them don't sell—not um, in this market, but in every other market—some of them don't sell. We would love if you had a guaranteed buyout program, and we have a guy doing it in Dallas. And my dad's like, I "Man, I'm just starting to be a successful agent. Like, uh, I'm doing well, and maybe I could buy one at a time, but that's scary." Um, but he, you know, ambitious, wanted to do it. He said yes. Um, He added some attributes of it. Um, We base it on an appraisal. We give a certain percentage. We also reimburse profit if we do have to buy it. So now we go to the builder and say, hey, we'll sell the house at at no charge if you refer us and put us on the new home contract. And if the house doesn't sell, we have a plan B option, um, a home buyout where we'll buy the house so they can still close on your house. What that did was... It took 40,000 realtors in Houston we're competing with, and it eliminated 39,998 of them um, because another team copied us, and that's who we can comp- now. Now, if you try to get builder business in Houston, the salesperson goes, um, "Hey, do you have a buyout like the Franklins do, and this other group does?" And so. It really eliminates people from being able to compete with us because they don't know how to do it or they're scared or they don't know how to finance it. So that sort of made us a local, we, we were a local where we lived kind of realtor and it brought us into the entire city of Houston.
1: Okay. So the buyout was kind of like the cream on top that just sealed it for everybody. That That's what really
2: took us. To me, the buyout program is why we have a title company, why we have all the ancillary businesses, because it took us from being a very good producer. I mean, he was a very good producer before that. Like, I, I don't know the numbers, but he was top 001%. But then it put us to be, you know, top 10, top 20 in entire country because we could, you know, build, a, we could build everything around those, those referrals and they were their listing referrals. And we all know that's what we all want to do at scale. And that's why we're able to, to do so much volume is because we
1: do a lot of listings. Yeah, that's incredible. So the one question I still have around this model, and then we'll we'll move on from this, but it's fascinating. It's very cool. So if an agent, let's say I'm a buyer's agent and I've been working with a client and I've shown them you know, 10 homes or whatever. And now all of a sudden they find this builder and they're like, hey, show me this. And so I go in and I try to negotiate this deal with the builder as, as an agent. What, what happens in that scenario? So when we're presenting
2: in front of the builder, um, we say, hey, you have to rely on your realtor relationships. If someone is working with a realtor, we don't want to be involved. So do not refer us. So we tell them they have a home to sell, they have a lease, to, the lease and they do not have a realtor. Um, In our market, most people start shopping for new homes well before they're going to put their house on the market. So what usually happens is the salesperson says, hey, do you have a realtor? I have some very good programs. And the person's like, I know a realtor, but I'm not married to them. What do you got? And so we get a lot of those referrals. But if, if, if if the agent is bringing them to the model home,
1: we don't get those referrals and we don't want those referrals. Okay. So that's, that's a great point though. If, if they come in to a model home and they're like, Hey, I've got this great program. We'll sell your, I've got a guy who will sell your house with at no cost. They're going to, they're going to go for that every time over their cousin, right? Dude, it's
2: funny you say that because I've had those cousins and brothers say, Hey, I'm a part-time realtor. I was going to work with them. The builder sort of mentioned it to my sister I can't compete with that. Will you still offer these programs to my cousin even though I'm a realtor? Like we I get 10 I get 10 deals a year from a realtor that is asking me to take their client because the house didn't sell or they're doing it part-time. So that you're exactly right. But so everyone knows a realtor, but are they willing to use that realtor they're not married to if they have these programs that that other realtor can't offer.
1: Yeah. Such a powerful business model. And I'm shocked that more people haven't adopted this. I, I feel really stupid that I didn't come up with that. <laughs> well, we didn't <laughs> come tell up your, your that. Uh, that's just amazing. So very cool. So let's talk about, it sounds like most of your business is coming from there. So, or at least 60% of your business, is that right? 60 now, but as as the builder world has eight
2: homes and 20 people for those eight homes they're not really worried about their house selling so our referrals have come down for the first time in a long time we've been pivoting away from that being our major leg for a while but covid put that in overdrive so our builder referrals are down because they're not worried about their home not selling so that that sell cycle of someone shopping for a new home being three weeks or a month is now three minutes. And so Mm -hmm. that referral's not happening as often. Um, But we've been pivoting away, not away from it, but it has gone down significantly. And that's why we're going to be flat this year is because we've been pivoting other parts of our business in case this happened and COVID made it happen overnight. So, uh, but we're we're already seeing it come back a little bit as the, the market slows down.
1: Okay. So let's talk about that. You have, and this is, this is so great as well. You have 1800 transactions. And I think this is kind of over the last two or three years, I've seen every team owner start to think, okay, how can I monetize on this in other ways? Right. I've got 1800 transactions that I control. Why am I giving that all to a mortgage company or why am I giving that all to a title company when I could benefit from that and I could control the experience and make it even a better experience for the client? So let's talk about that. What are you guys doing in the ancillary space?
0: If you've been enjoying Grit, please help us continue to grow the channel by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. Now back to Grit. Yeah. So, uh, my dad owned a
2: small ownership in a title company when I started. And as we went from, you know, controlling, you know, being able to refer a title company at his time was like 15 deals a month. He was just a passive shareholder. So we'd already been in that space, but once we scaled the business and added agents and, and really went from, you know, uh, 150 million to 600 million, or really, you know, at that time, was probably 400 million. I started really studying the title space of like, okay, is, is what we're making from this passive opportunity, the best opportunity. And I started taking meetings, like I'll always take meetings, hear opportunities, very open minded. And so I started shopping our, our our deal we had from our title company. And what I realized was we should have our own thing which it's good. You don't know what you don't know because the first six months were terrible starting a brand new title company when you had a full-time job and finding the right people, talent in the title space is hard. We didn't have the right people in the right seats and the right people in general. But now that we've smoothed that out over the last three years, like we'll, uh, we'll probably net close to the same amount of money, if not more this year from title, from our independent title company as we do our 40-year sales business. Um, so we have an t- uh, independent title company. Me and my sister own 85% of it. And then we started because of Brett Tanner and, and how we met. We started a hard money lending business just because it was quiet and we could capitalize a lot of our relationships in the space. And then what I saw, what these investors were were doing and making and creating wealth for them, we started a real estate investing business and we bought nine homes in the last 60 days through that. So um, those are our biggest ancillary plays besides EXP.
1: Okay. So the one thing that stands out for me on this title, most people I know that have done title have done joint JVs. So how is it you guys decided we're going to go start our own title company? Because I think most are afraid of that. So I just want to, just want to key in on that for a minute. Yeah. Uh, I was
2: dumb and young and, and, um, I started doing pro formas with, um, people in the title space and and seeing what we could make and like, Oh, I can, I can do that. And so that was basically the reason we did it was we were big enough to be profitable very quickly. Um, and on our own transactions. And now three years in, um, our own transactions only make up about 30% of the business. So we've been able to grow around that. But for a long time, it was like, we, we didn't have reps while we worked through the service piece. And, you know, my agents were going to use it. We were going to use it. Um, but I mean, the first six months are hard. I think for a lot of people, going the JV route makes a lot of sense because um, title is a beast. Um, it really is. And had I known it was as big of a beast as I did, I might not have done it but it's also been the, maybe the best decision of my business life to do it. So.
1: Yeah. Okay. it's fascinating. You've done, you guys have made some, some really just smart decisions that have accelerated your growth beyond, beyond what I've seen a lot of. So, so uh, you guys made this move. you just, you just mentioned EXP as being an ancillary as well. Let's talk about that for a minute. I think um, the industry, you know, I think KW kind of, uh, you know, they kind of came in and with their profit share kind of between that and and training people on how to build teams. Yeah, they really, like took the industry by storm in the early 2000s. And uh, now you have people that have said, well, we're gonna we're gonna pay more than that. So you guys were at Remax. How long ago did you make the move over to eXp and why did you- uh, September 1st this year was our
2: three-year anniversary at eXp. We were um, Remax for 32 years. So we're not a big brokerage hopper. Um, but man, it was it was one of those things. It was, it was my investment banking, P&L driven mind, like what we were getting from Remax versus what we were paying in my head didn't match up. And so we weren't- we didn't leave RE-MAX to go to EXP. We were leaving Remax to go somewhere. And we, were, we had made that decision. And on a, a, a random coaching call, you know these guys, but my first coach, Fred Weaver, um, Kevin Coffin and Fred Weaver, now very good buddies. I told him, we're going to leave Remax. I uh, don't know where we're going to go. And he said, well, we haven't announced it, but we're leaving KW. You should look at this. We saw the model and it just it changed our opinion uh because we were going to go independent if uh, everything else we looked at didn't make sense at the time and then exp gave us a platform to have the upside of an independent without all the issues of owning an independent right we could use our relationships we could get paid we could build relationships with people on this platform and and, and have them use our ancillaries which has been a big piece to help grow our ancillaries as EXP, and, you know, through the revenue share program, we could, we could get paid to, to be at the company and, and, and what I've made at the company compared to what I've paid is, is far ex, exceeded um, at Remax. It was, I paid 90 grand a year and it goes out the window, right? Yeah, I'm never getting it back unless I went and owned a franchise. And we had, my dad owned a franchise and sold it, you know, 20 years prior. So we know we, we knew we weren't going to go that route. Um, so it's been a, our eXp RevShare group has, has helped our ancillaries. It's helped grow our business. It's, it's built a lot of culture and collaboration. So it's, it's been a, it's not for everyone. Um, but
1: it's been a game changer for us. Good. All right. So, um, Where's the industry going, in your opinion, over the next three to five years? You know, teams came in. My personal opinion is teams have really like teams like you guys doing 1800 transactions that didn't exist. Yeah. And that's hard to compete against. So what's your opinion of where where is the industry going?
2: I I think it's going toward it's got to go toward less agents out there. Um, And I think um, it's getting more and more competitive. And then you factor in all the disruption that's bringing commission compression into the store and into this, that I think there'll be less agents and still, I, I completely agree bigger teams and bigger producers. And, and I think eventually it's got to go to being more expensive to hold your license and then what's going to happen is more of these part timers are going to get out. Um, but I, I I completely agree with you. I think it's super hard to compete. I mean we're we spend a lot of money on improving our craft. Um, tools like Sisu we're about to 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 go on your platform. We spend a hundred grand a year on coaching. And so I, I, it, it is very hard to compete with the the resources these big teams have. And I think it's going to, you know, it's going to grab more and more market share and push more and more people out. And I think all the disruption in the space is going to do the same. So I, that's my opinion of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. It's a, uh... It's an interesting observation that I've, I've been watching as some of these new brokerages come around. I mean, EXP and Real both have the same model. They're both focused primarily on bringing teams in. They have solo agents, but it's really more so the large teams going there. And then you have companies like Compass and, you know, they, they basically paid teams to come in and bought their growth. And, but, but they focused on teams, right? Not brokerages. They're every single one of their 7,000 plus brokerages is a team. And then you have companies like Side Inc. They've done the exact same thing. They went and got teams to come in to become their brokerages. And so the new brokerage is a team. And, you know, again, I said, KW kind of started that. You came from KW. Spring, my wife came from KW. Or, you know, you guys didn't come from KW. Yeah. yeah, you're Kevin and and yeah, Kevin and, Kevin and Fred came. Yeah. So so anyway, it's just going to be interesting to see. So, but you know, I think the exciting thing for everybody in real estate is everyone tried to prove that the realtor is not going to exist, and everyone failed at that. And it's been proven the realtor is going to exist. And the great thing about being in real estate is the real estate team controls which ancillary businesses get used, right? Yeah. Because you get to control that experience. I just read an article this week, last week, that uh, talked about how the real estate companies, real estate teams both are, are getting into, you know, the, the mortgage and title industries. And yeah. so now you have the mortgage companies all trying to get into real estate. So yeah. it, it, it's gonna be interesting to see how this all plays out. <laughs> But I, I think the upper hand, the advantage is definitely on the side of, of the realtor at this point. Yeah, it's funny. It's a, a
2: big reason why I didn't join uh, real estate is because my dad even thought that the realtor was going to be eliminated. And then when, when I graduated 08, is the first year he ever went down. But then 9 was better than 8 for him. 10 was better than 9. And then he was like, maybe we aren't going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a little different. But it's just yep. and, and, and that's why these massively big like brokerages that try to to create these these ancillary mortgage title from a national level. It's like, man, it's still a hyper local game, man. It's still about the relationship. People want to be able to pick up the phone to someone they trust and talk to them at 7 p.m. on a Saturday. And that is why I think the realtor will continue to be around in some form or fashion.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's that I also think it's. You know, getting somebody under contract is half of the battle, but if you have two emotional, these are not business transactions, these are emotional yeah. homeowners trying to keep a transaction together without a realtor, good luck, right? <laughs> I tell people we're counselors and therapists more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, um, so, you know, you, you said you pay $100,000 a year for coaching, I want to hear more about that, because I I think so many of us don't invest enough in ourselves, and I think that's the most important investment we can make.
2: I I was that way, um, and not because we knew any better. I think we were at a place where it was just head down, blinders on, and really when I when I got connected with Kevin and Fred through their Next Level Agents Facebook group and started building a relationship with them, what I realized is there are a lot of smart people in this industry and they're doing a lot. Like Someone can sell 10 times less the amount of homes as you and they can do a lot of things better than you. And 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 what I realized is I can learn a ton of stuff from other people doing big things around the country. And so um, I remember I was at a early Kevin and Fred event and they told me they had spent like five grand a month or something on going to conferences or masterminds. And And the numbers are way wrong. I'm just saying, it was a number to me that was mind boggling. I'm like, why in the world are you going and spending five grand a month to go to conferences? I've never been to a real estate conference. And when I hired Fred, and then I got a ton of value from him as a coach. And then I went to Glenn Neely, who is a KW Maps coach. Crazy. Like I had a five-year goal to be out of production. I told Glenn that I was out of production in three months. Um, then I uh, hired Brett Tanner. He's the reason that I have a hard money lending business and a real estate investing business. Kevin and Fred are, are why I am at EXP, and it's been a game changer. Now I'm coaching with John Cheplak. And so... What I just realized is that, man, if I go to an event or talk to someone doing something and I go to, you know, I spend three days, I might get two or three nuggets, but those two or three nuggets are worth like 10 times the amount of what I paid. Wow. And so that's where I get all my information, man. It's all R&D, rip off and duplicate. Like I, I, I have these coaches because they're connected with other people like your wife that are doing great things that I can learn from. And so once I got entrenched and once I saw what that was doing, I'm like, I got to do more of it. And every year I spend a little bit more on coaching because the return of what I, what I spend on it is
1: four or five, 10, X of what I spend. Yeah. So I I think 10 X is probably, probably the, the real number there or 10 X plus. So I challenge anybody out there listening, like if you're having a hard time with this, okay, I'm going to spend a hundred grand on, you know, investing in myself. Well, that hundred grand, like we just heard from Andrew, four different businesses that he started because of a coach. And I guarantee you several of those businesses are doing over a million dollars a year in net income. So that being said, is that worth a hundred grand a year to pay for Right. Would you, would you pay a dime to get a dollar? Right. That's the question. (laughs) So, so anyway, thanks for sharing that. I think that mindset is just something that I I believe the top people in the industry have that mindset. And there are a lot that, that just haven't haven't had the courage to really go out on that limb and say, I'm going to do this.
2: And that's why I did it. I saw top person after top person. And when I told my dad, he's like, why do you need a coach? I've been your mentor. And guess who has his first coach ever at the age of 65? My father. So he went from what are you doing? Why are you wasting money to seeing what it's done? And if a 65-year-old can change his mindset on what a coach can do, um, anyone can. And so you're exactly right. I just saw top person winner after winner doing it. And I'm like, all right. I'm not, I'm not marrying my coach, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm committing to three months of whatever it costs. Fred used to cost me a thousand dollars a month. So I started with a $3,000 commitment, three months, I was going to give it a try. I would know in three months if it was valuable and then I would part ways. And, you know, five years later, I've had a coach the entire time And and I've gone through different ones and I still have relationships with every single one I used to coach with. Um, so I, that's one of the biggest things that has helped me in, in business and just life in general. It's, it
1: started getting me to read more. It started really expanding me as a person. I'm glad you brought that up. You said you've had five different coaches, and you know why would you have the same coach for five years in a row? Because that coach has you have this much knowledge, and then you add that coach to it, and you have this much again. But if you just have that much. Now you're you're limiting your growth again. So expand that to a new coach where you can learn other things and you'll, you'll constantly be elevating your game. You know, most people that are in real estate don't have a college education, right? You do, you're, you have an investment banking background, but, but most actually don't. Uh, I know that Spring does not. That's my wife and she... She, you know, when I started CSU, she had a team of like five agents doing maybe a hundred transactions a year. And now she's up to, you know, well, she was at 25 a few months ago. She's actually at 35 agents as of today. So it's wow. just, it's just crazy to see the growth. And that comes from putting the right systems in place and having the right coaches, right? All mm-hmm. of the other businesses that go along with it, Right we just signed up
2: for eos if anyone um from the book traction and um, rocket fuel my coach told me to read this book he told me to to talk to eos uh kyle and dan i think they do eos if anyone doesn't know what that is look it up we're paying a eos implementer fifty five hundred dollars a day we're going to meet with them four times a year roughly so you can do the math but um i think it's going to be a game changer for us so uh, that hundred grand is continuing to scale up as we scale, and um, you know, uh, you're right. I know what I know, and I need
1: smarter people to to help me out. <laughs> so, Spring is well down that road as well. She's oh, in she's the US. So, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, so, you just mentioned Rocket Fuel. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, other than coaching, what is what is your favorite source of learning? And I mean, there are some amazing books out there. We just mentioned Rocket Fuel but is it, is it books? Is it podcasts? What is, what is it that you do to, to learn and keep your, both, keep- it, both of those? I, yeah, both of
2: those. Uh, I used to not be a big reader. Uh, school sort of came easy to me. And so like, I, the only time I would read was like when I had a, to, to read a book for school, but now I'm always reading a book or listening to a book. And then these kind of things, man, there's, again, you're going to listen to a podcast for an hour and 50 minutes you won't care about, but that five minutes that you do is, can be a game changer. And so like, I'm like addicted to finding that five minutes. Um, and so I same same with the book, right? There's a lot of books. I'm like, Oh, that book wasn't great, but I got some really great value out of those 10 pages. And so that's what I try to consume podcast people. I, I like and trust that are doing things that I want to do. And then I'm just following them. So,
1: and I mean, a great example is this podcast today. I can tell you, if I was running a team, there's a lot of stuff I would rip off from this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> so, I will make sure Spring listens to this, even though I know she already knows your story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, what's your favorite thing to do in your personal time, Andrew? So, I just had a baby,
2: um a 10 week old uh, baby. Congratulations. We are, yeah, we did everything backwards. Um, We moved in together. We got engaged. Then we had a baby and we're getting married here in a month in Scottsdale. So a big family person, obviously uh, all these businesses I mentioned, one of my family members is a partner in one or multiple of those businesses. So family means everything, but then uh, like to golf. I'm a, I'm a golfer, so not a good one, but I, I I like it. (laughs) Good. Well, Scottsdale is a
1: great place to spend time. If you like to golf. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so your favorite place to visit is—is uh, is that Scottsdale? It sounds like, or is probably t- probably
2: Telluride, Colorado. So, my dad has started to get out of the summer heat of Houston in Texas, and um, this summer he spent seventy-five days in Telluride. Um, had it not been for COVID, it would have been four summers in a row. So, it was two, skipped one, and then this was his his third. And I visited every time, so. I have a big why of someday to get out of the Texas heat and, and be in a place like that, whether it be, you know, Utah or Colorado or just somewhere. So Telluride's up there, Scottsdale's up there, the wine country's up there. So I like traveling in the States.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So my last question for you is just what is the one piece of advice that you would leave to, to the listeners of this podcast that, that are out there striving to grow?
2: So, man, I think it's, uh, there's so many things I've done to grow because I had an open mind about something learning that I did not know what I didn't know in that there are a lot of people smarter than me. Maybe I was smarter than them in one thing, but they were smarter than me in three other things. And so one of the biggest things was check my ego at the door and mimic those that were doing something where I wanted to be and be around those people in some form or fashion, whether it not be hiring them or going to the same brokerage or anything. Um, And uh, I used to get made fun of by my dad and and sister because I would always take those meetings that weren't leading to anything. Um, And what those meetings a lot of times lead to is knowledge. And I think everything I've done um, in business has been to being willing to learn from others and then go and implement that. So that that's, it sounds cliche, but that's been life-changing for me.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's obvious that that has been a, a big part of your, your growth and your story. So yeah, congratulations on on doing that and opening your mind and, and taking these meetings and going, on, going and paying for coaching that your family thinks you're crazy for doing.
2: <laughs> not anymore, not anymore. They don't.
1: No, but they they did at the time. Yeah, so yeah. That's when it's hard, right? Now it's no yeah. longer hard because everyone knows the results. But yeah, yeah did yeah. um, So last thing, Andrew, uh, how do people best get a hold of you if if they have questions for you and want to learn more?
2: Yeah, I'm super responsive on, on social media, um, so you can add me, um, send me a message, um, my cell phone, you could Google my, my name and my cell phone comes up, so feel free to, to text, call, or send me a message on social media, so I'm pretty easy to find.
1: So there is another Andrew Franklin out there in real estate, I found that out prior to this podcast, so when you, when you Google this Andrew Franklin, Google the Franklin team uh, yeah. that'll get you to the right. Andrew Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Or Houston. I'm sure there's not a ton of Andrew Franklin's maybe
2: in Houston that are real estate agents, but
1: yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's been a great hour. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. And we are really looking forward to having you come in to SISU. And again, I, I offered to, to help any way I can. I'm excited to, to help elevate your business even more. So, Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you to all the listeners for joining us again this week. And we'll catch you next week on the Grit Podcast. Thanks, bud.
0: Thank you for joining us on our podcast. If you have an interest in a free seven-day trial of Sisu, go to sisu.co, S-I-S-U dot C-O. Make sure that you use the coupon code GRIT, that's G-R-I-T, to waive all your set of fees and receive a 10% discount on your subscription. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to subscribe, search GRIP, the real estate growth mindset on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean. And with that, we'll catch you next time. Take care.